The title of my talk today is, it's all about Mary. She's one of the God soulmates that we've been looking at. And uh, the subtitle is the invitation to carry and to bring to birth God's plans. Now, aid has carried and brought to birth this sermon series to our church. He has carried that for a few months and he's brought it to birth. It was his plan and God's plan. It was God's plan, but aid brought it. How are you with Christmas shopping? <laughs> are you one of those uh, people who does, writes down stonking plans and writes huge lists and gets really, really organized and shops all the way through the year and now you're done and dusted. Any of those? Well, Rebecca, well done. <laughs> Fantastic. Or are you one of those 11th hour Christmas shoppers? You go out, you trip out with great hope on Christmas Eve. <laughs> and uh, you work to that deadline of Closing time at MS. <laughs> most of us are probably in the middle somewhere between those two extremes. Personally, I'll probably see you at MS on Christmas Eve. My point is that we're all different. We're all different. We have different priorities in our lives. We have uh, different characters, different methods, and different amounts of time available. So how are you doing with this sermon series about friendship with God? Some of us will be excited about a friendship with God. Others of us will be a bit numb, maybe. Perhaps uh, the whole idea of having a friendship with God might not be to your liking or a bit scary. Some of us might be quietly saying, I don't know how to have a friendship with God. I don't know what that means. We're all at different stages in our life, aren't we? Different stages with friendship with God. The good news is <coughs> that all of us have a spirit within us. That is how God made each one of us. There is a spirit in each of us. And whatever stage we're at with friendship, if we just ask the Holy Spirit to come and touch our spirit, to fill us up with his presence, his hope and his holiness, we will begin to have a longing for a friendship with God. However we feel on the inside of us, some of us might not feel confident. Some of us not, uh, might not feel that God wants a relationship with us. We might feel a bit dirty on the inside, maybe a bit of guilt there. Um, and the, the important thing is that we begin to understand God will accept each one of us wherever we're at, wherever we've been. He accepts us. He longs for a friendship 
with each of us. And he's got different plans for our lives. But we do have to take that risk of starting to talk to him, don't we? It is a risk. It feels like a risk because he's so big and we're so small. If that's hard for you, talking to God, ask someone here in this church family to start praying with you. Find someone who looks like they love God. There's loads of those in this church. And just ask them to pray with you. I think a lot of people here in this church will be delighted to do that. Find one today. And he will reward that little effort that you make of seeking him out. And he will fan it into flame. He will fan it into a flame, a new passion for you in your life. Life isn't like Father Christmas, is it? Father Christmas is this image. <laughs> we see him on the television, we see him all over in the shops. He loves to constantly bring happy presents. But life isn't like that, is it? We find out many of us will have found difficult things about life. Many of us have had to fight some of those difficult things. So perhaps there's been no time or strength in you or confidence to find God. Again, if that's you, let this family of God help you. Receive their help. Let this family of God find, help you connect with God and find friendship with God via friendships in this church. That is life-changing. Trust, trust this church. They're very good at it. And you're not on your own. Come in to the warmth. A bit like Alex was talking about earlier. Come into the warmth of a family. So let's now invite the Holy Spirit, shall we, to help us, each one of us, to listen to him, to find him, to see him. Let's pray. Spirit, you're here already. Will you move amongst us now? Move amongst all these rows of chairs and up on the balcony. Help us hear and see the Father today as he beckons us to come. He beckons us to come and be with him. Spirit, still our hearts and minds, still our crazy minds, our frantic minds, still us to meet with Jesus, our greatest friend, the most giving, the most loyal friend we'll ever find. So, Mary, we probably have a stereotype image of Mary, haven't we? We've seen so many pictures of her, haven't we? On the Christmas cards and uh, uh, Christmas carols, we have this image of her given to us. Um, let's just have a quick view of some stereotype images of Mary, shall we? Phil, got a few pictures there to show. 
one. This is from the children's Bible in colour. Did anyone grow up with the children's Bible? I had that one when I was little. Now, this is a funny one. This is Angel Gabriel giving, um, appearing to Mary. I don't know about you, but I think he looks younger than Mary. Yeah. He's got a very nice, buffoned, blonde hair. And I don't know about these lilies. I guess they're a symbol of something. <laughs> Purity, perhaps. Um, but that's one typical image that we might have grown up with. Uh, that book was made in the 60s. I was born in the middle of the 60s, so I saw that Bible. And the next one, Phil, is a classic Christmas card type scene, isn't it? There's Mary in the blue. Um, this was only one or two pages after that first one, and I think Mary's changed her hair colour. Um, look at the baby. It's not a newborn, is it? <laughs> ah, lovely blonde hair again, the baby. Um, but I remember, the, I remember the sheep, the lambs in this picture. I'd rather like them with their little floppy ears. Classic. And the next one is Raphael's painting of Mary and the, and the baby from 1505. This was painted in. Uh, it's kept, apparently, in the Palazzo Pitti in Florence. Anyone been there? Oh, Sally, wow. Did you see this picture? Ah. So that's a classic one. The next slide. Oh, can't see that one so well. It's a sunset picture. There's Mary. And there's also um, the manger. Can you just, just maybe see the manger? It's more atmospheric and modern, up to, up to date with us. But actually, I sort of found myself after a while thinking, why is the manger outdoors? <laughs> That's fine. Poetic license. And you probably can't see it from here, but there is either a lake or the sea in the background. Well, I don't remember that being in Bethlehem, but anyway. That's a classic, up to date sunset picture of Mary. And one more. It's, uh, oh, it's not very clear there, but it's a beautiful picture of a young mum with a newborn, Jesus. This one seems very up-to-date. But the modern pictures and portrayals of Mary have changed and developed a lot over the years. She's been so greatly illustrated, probably the most illustrated character in the Bible after Jesus. And our carols, our Christmas carols. I just want to play one to you now, because I find this particularly beautiful. I've been driving my husband crazy playing this song the last two months. <laughs> so we'll be quite relieved when this sermon is over. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this lovely song is all about our passage today. There we go. Can you put the volume up?
That was the Basque carol you may know. Um, and actually the words were paraphrased uh, for in, in, into English. They were, it was in Basque, uh, Basque language. Um, paraphrased into English, as, as we know it here, by a Devon man, a guy who was born in Exeter. S uh, Sabine Bering Gould, I think his name was. Um, but it's nice to have that Devon connection with that carol. So we're going to look at um, the passage that I'm going to use today. Um, I've asked Catherine to read it. Where's Catherine? There she is. We're going to Luke, Luke 1. Luke chapter 1. So we are first introduced to Mary. Uh, she was a complete unknown to us. She was young, probably no more than 14, people guess. She was inexperienced then. She was poor. She was what we'd call a, a peasant girl. And from uh, an unknown, unpopular place called Nazareth at that time. I've got a quick map of Nazareth, Phil, if you can find us that. These days, Nazareth is a big city. Um, but in those days, it was a small rural settlement up north in Galilee. It really wasn't known for any wealth or prosperity. 
Mary herself, a teenager, she wasn't married yet, so she had no status to speak of. She was pledged, as the Bible tells us, pledged or betrothed to a man called Joseph. He did have a bit of status. He was a man. And he was, um, after all, um, a descendant of David. That was important. He had a bit of status, but she really didn't. From the world's point of view, Mary, just like Nazareth, was pretty unimportant, pretty much a nobody. Until an angel of God came to find her in her nobodiness. Now, I'd actually like to reread the story um, in a different form, really. It's in a more narrative form, and it's in this book by Francine Rivers. She's an American Christian fiction writer or narrative writer. She explains in her foreword, um, in most of her books actually, that she rewrites the Bible stories, um, really fleshing them out with the uh, character's thoughts and feelings um, included, which helps us, doesn't it? It helps us because um, the Bible is often so economic, and so because they had to tell so many stories in the Bible, um, uh, they had to be economic. But this, uh, Francine's, Francine Rivers' work, uh, we've got this, by the way, on the shelf in the, in the bookshop. Um, she really, really helps us to understand the characters and where they were at. So I'm going to reread the, the passage. So have a listen. This is Mary's story. For as long as Mary could remember, she'd heard her people crying out for rescue from Roman oppression. Someday the Lord would send the deliverer, the one who promised after Adam and Eve's fall from grace, the one who would make all things right and all things new, the Messiah. Every day Mary prayed for him to come, as she prayed now, sitting beneath the shade of a mustard tree, struggling with questions beyond her ability to understand, torn by the turbulent world around her, as well as her own now settled future. Mary cried out for the Saviour. Oh Lord, when will you send us a deliverer? Rescue us from the foreign oppressors who carry golden idols, arrogantly proclaiming their emperor a god. She must cease this struggling, she knew. She would be wed to Joseph. The matter was settled. Mary honoured her mother and would obey. Oh Lord, God of Israel, I don't understand these things. Is it wrong to want to belong to you? My soul longs for you. Help me to be obedient, to be a proper, proper wife to Joseph. For you are sovereign and must have chosen this man for me. Make me a woman after your own heart. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Sounds like a song. Suddenly, a strange tingling sensation spread over her skin. Her hair prickled as she raised her head and saw a man standing before her. He wasn't from Nazareth. Heart thumping with terror, she stared at him. 
for she had never seen anyone like him before. Was it the sun at his back that made him look so terrifying? Greetings, favoured woman. The Lord is with you, he said. Trembling, she sat still and silent, wondering at his words. She shut her eyes tightly and then opened them again. He was still standing there, looking down at her with kind patience. What did his greeting mean? Weren't all God's chosen people favoured? And why did he say the Lord was with her? Was he the Lord? Fear filled her and she closed her eyes again for surely anyone who looked upon the Lord would die. Don't be frightened, Mary, for God has decided to bless you. A sob welled up inside Mary's throat, catching her off guard. She wanted nothing more than to please God. But the Lord knew how undeserving she was. She blushed, blushed, remembering that only the moment before she'd resisted the idea of marrying Joseph, though he loved God as much as she did. And now this man said precious words that filled her with joy. The stranger drew closer, his head inclined towards her. You'll become pregnant and have a son, and you're to name him Jesus. Jesus. The name meant the Lord saves. The angel was still speaking. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary swallowed, her mind whirling with the implication of his words. He was telling her she would bear the Messiah. As soon as the words were uttered, she felt attacked by a chorus of dark voices. Hugh, why would the Lord choose anyone so low? The Messiah will not come from a Nazarene peasant girl. What evil is this that one so unworthy should dare imagine she could bear the Messiah? Ignore this man. Look away from him. Reject what he says. Close your eyes. Say nothing. Yet another voice spoke, a quiet voice, a voice her heart recognised. What is your answer, Mary? She stood, tilting her head, as she looked up at the angel. But how can I have a baby? I'm a virgin. The angel smiled tenderly. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be holy, and he'll be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. Bibi used to say she was barren, but she's already in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Mary drew in her, her breath, but with a smile and clasped her hands. Ah, oh, she knew how Elizabeth had always longed for a child. Nothing was impossible with God. Elizabeth would be like Sarah, who bore Isaac in her old age, and Hannah, dedicating her son to the Lord. The news made Mary's faith leap 
She wanted to race to Elizabeth and see this miracle for herself. But the angel was still standing in front of her, waiting for her answer. If she said yes, she'd become the mother of the long-awaited Messiah. Why the Lord had chosen her to be part of his plan, she couldn't even guess. She was uneducated, poor, and lived in this obscure village that most of the Jews disdained. Yet she also knew from listening to scripture in the synagogue that God had often used the most unlikely and unworthy to fulfill his purposes. It didn't matter who she was. God would accomplish his purposes in his way. The angel of the Lord was asking her to be part of his plan. And everything within her heart and soul cried out a joyous yes. The dark voices returned. Do you really think you can be the Messiah's mother? Do you think you will know how to rear God's son to be king over Israel? No, I won't. Mary's heart answered, but God will. Gathering her courage, she stood, she looked up to the angel. I'm the Lord's servant, and I am willing to accept whatever he wants. May everything you've said come true. As soon as she made her decision, the angel was gone. She uttered a soft gasp of dismay. She would have thought she'd imagined the entire episode had not the air still trembled around her. Letting out her breath softly, she knelt and lifted her face to heaven and whispered, Lord, your will be done. Her skin tingled strangely and then her body warmed. It was flooded with a strange peace. She drew in her breath and held it. For one brief space in time, nothing moved. No sound was heard as all creation paused. Within the womb of a poor peasant girl from an obscure village in Galilee, God the Son became one with the seed of Adam. I highly recommend Francine Rivers. So what do you think of Mary? Do you think she was meek and mild, like all the carols tell us? Meek and mild, Mary. I think she was incredibly courageous and very decisive. Her final answer to Gabriel was calm and confident, wasn't it? As Francine Rivers suspected, Mary must have been a great talker with God before Gabriel even arrived. She would chat with him, I think. And God would have heard all those prayers, all that chatting with him. I think she was a soulmate of God before Gabriel even arrived. She was also a great worshipper. Later in, in the same chapter of Luke, she was to uh, come out with that incredible bit of worship, which is often called the Magnificat. 
Uh, my soul magnifies the Lord and rejoices in God my Saviour. She was a worshipper. Our young people are perhaps the best worshippers. <laughs> I'm remembering when I was a teenager. <laughs> we were visited at school <laughs> by some Americans, and um, I think they were full, from YWAM, full of zeal and passion, just worshipped, and <laughs> they showed us a small group of us in the Christian Union. That was at the uh, Talkie Girls Grammar School. And um, they were wild and way out. They had long hair and it just sounded, these American voices were just so uh, exciting when I was a 14-year-old. And um, I remember being filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with his presence, filled with his passion. And that happens in a young person, doesn't it? Um, and their zeal is the hottest. <laughs> their zeal for Jesus can be the most passionate time. Mary knew the way to the Father, to his side. She'd been there many times before, and I'm sure she was able to answer the angel in that calm and decisive way because she already knew God and was used she was used to trusting God as her father. If we are fervent worshippers and prayers and readers of his word now in our lives, then when we come up against tough times in the future, we will be used to trusting God and obeying him and going with him into the darkness of uncertainty will feel like an, an obvious thing to do. It'll be an obvious choice. And we'll know that we're not alone. Let's not be embarrassed to pray to him or embarrassed to worship him. Not be intimidated by fears. We must shake fear off of us as Christians. A bit like taking off a, an old, ill-fitting garment and chucking it away. Shake fear off. Prayer and worship and reading his word softens our hearts. Softens us to obey him and stay close to him when we desperately need to. It will also inform and remind us of God's character for the times when it's easy for us to forget. Now, I like watching men's rugby, just to change the subject. 
I love uh, especially watching the English rugby team play. And there I was yesterday shouting at the television. Um, our neighbours knew all about that. They shout at the football, we shout at the rugby, and we kind of forgive each other somewhere in the middle there. Um, in the England team are ranked number two in the world after New Zealand. So watch out New Zealand in two years' time at the next World Cup. It's going to be good. <laughs> Why have I mentioned rugby? If you watch enough international rugby, as I do, and Jeanne and I do, um, you will have observed perhaps that some rugby players are unembarrassed about their Christian faith. Especially the Pacific Islanders like Fiji and Samoa. When these Christian rugby players are interviewed after a match, they'll firstly give thanks to God over the microphone. Yeah. How strange is that? Um, we're not used to that, are we, in this country? Um, they'll give thanks to God for the privilege of playing and um, that God has protected them in the match and that nobody else has been seriously hurt in that game. And yesterday, John and I were really impressed to see the Samoan team, who were thrashed by England yesterday. Afterwards, they invited the English players to kneel with them on the pitch to honour God and to give thanks. It was fabulous. And they knelt down together in a big circle. You know, there's the white shirts and the blue shirts all mingled. It was wonderful. The Samoans were unembarrassed about their faith and their prayers. Wonderful, wonderful courage. They were well beaten in the rugby, but they won the game in terms of courage, of spirit. Back to Mary. <laughs> Another reason I think Mary was submissive to the angel's announcement was because she was young. Her childhood hadn't yet disappeared out of sight. She was probably used to obeying obedience to her parents or parent. Um, and she hadn't lost that childlike trust. She'd not yet been weighed down with the independent spirit that many of us adults pride ourselves on. And uh, the control, and we control and drive our lives with it. We can be control freaks, can't we? If we're really honest with our lives. Many of us prefer to place God on the sidelines of our life as, observer, as the observer. We tend to learn the hard way to submit to God, don't we? After we've messed up a bit. Let's be wise and become like little children again. That's what the adult Jesus was to say to us no one can enter the kingdom of God without being like a little child and doing that I think another word for that is submission submission is a word that is hard for us to swallow isn't it many of us quietly disapprove of the word submission or well, we make a joke out of it don't we I think it's kind of got mixed up with the whole submission of women to men thing and that hasn't been helpful 
that the submission of a woman or of a man has, uh, to God has nothing to do with weakness. Nothing at all. It is all to do with wisdom and strength and humility. When any of us submit our pride to God, we are simply saying, you guide me, Lord. Show me the way to go and keep me safe from evil and temptation and the foolishness of my sin. In my life, I've had to be cleaned out of a lot of arrogance. The I know best mentality. Many, many times God has had to challenge me on that. I've been so impressed by my own brilliance at times that I've been, I've been pretty rude and superior to people who were actually being far more sensible and grown up than me, than I was. In 2001, here's an example of that. In 2001, Sean and I came back from Hong Kong. We'd been working out there with uh, Chinese heroin addicts. And uh, in 2001, my father had died when I was still out in Hong Kong. And so we decided um, a little while later to come back to, to Torquay, actually, to the UK, and to look after my mum for a while. She was on her own in a big house. Um, and uh, <laughs> I remember I was pretty full of myself in those days. I'd just come back from Hong Kong and I knew, you know, what it was to serve out abroad. Um, and I, I was quite impressed with myself. And uh, eventually we found a local church in Torquay and uh, we, we went there for five years. And um, I joined the worship band. And I remember painfully a time when I joined their, their little band practice, you know, their rehearsal. And I was so impressed with myself that I decided to take my guitar in and run the meeting, basically. Just show them how I would prepare for worship. Gosh, I was impressed with myself. It was so foolish of me. But they were so patient, they just let me do it. And they were so gracious. Later on, I apologised to them both. And also, if I brought any of that arrogance into this church, I ask you to forgive me. I probably did. <laughs> I've had to move off the throne of self-importance, as, as uh, I've explained, and bow the knee to, to God and ask his forgiveness for times of ridiculous superiority. But confession and repentance at the cross of Jesus is so freeing. It is true freedom. It takes us from that arrogant self-congratulation <laughs> to a wiser humility. Time at the cross leads us to a quiet confidence in the Father who knows our needs better than we do. He knows. Isaiah wrote, this is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. 
in quietness and trust is your strength. Mary was certainly incredibly strong in her trust of God, enabling her to have no problem with obedience and no fear of submission. Now, before I write a sermon, just the last couple of years, I've got into a habit um, of going over to Hugh to have a little chat with him about the word that I'm supposed to preach on. Hugh knows the word of God. He knows some of those, the ancient languages there that are involved. And I always find it really helpful just to listen to him. Um, and uh, this time, <laughs> I wanted to ask him, which I did, um, do you think, Hugh, that Mary had choice about being pregnant with Jesus? Because... If you look back at the scripture, Phil, can you find the scripture again, the Luke 1? It looks to me that she had no choice. It was a simple future tense from Gabriel. Where is that? Um, you have, let's look at verse 30. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you're to call him Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That's the future, simple future tense. That's what's going to happen, Mary. So I said to Hugh, seems a bit unfair. <laughs> Mary didn't have a choice. She just had to accept that. Hugh wrote me a letter. He explained that Mary was able to choose her attitude. And that's how God deals with us. He says, this is going to happen in your life. For example, some of us might have become parents uh, in a difficult situation of, of a child who has great needs um, we've had no choice in that. Or there'll be different things in, in our different lives that we haven't had choice about. And it seems unfair and we <laughs> get a bit petulant to God sometimes. Um, but we do have a choice. The choice is our attitude. Do you know what I mean? Mary chose her attitude of uh, humility and submission. Let's talk with the Father more in our lives. Let's long for conversations with him like Mary and let him soften our attitudes to our not-so-freedom-of-choice situations. Let's read his word, like Mary did, and listen to it. <laughs> we can be jolly good at reading his word and sound very impressive that we know all the verses in the Bible, but are we actually listening to them? Are we actually letting them soften us on the inside, soften our pride, soften our arrogance? 
Does the word sit in us and melt us? We must listen to the word and delight in obeying it. Let's shed the arrogance of independence and put God back on the throne of our lives. We need to be happily dependent on him. Are you a dependent? <laughs> I'm very happy to be dependent on God. <laughs> it's much easier than independence. <coughs> Let's become stronger through submission to God, like the young Mary who just wanted to please her heavenly father. For her submission, Mary received the reward of being the closest person to Jesus for many years throughout his childhood and on into his incredible adulthood. One more picture, Phil, um, of Mary with a little boy there. That's the one, lovely. Only Mary and Joseph watched Jesus slowly grow into the Messiah. Jesus may have partly picked up from his mum the way of obedience and submission to the Father, which would eventually take him to the cross. He died for us there. That was his choice. He probably didn't have choice about that, but he chose his attitude, didn't he? He chose to obey. And it's at the cross that we find all our healing and all our freedom. So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for Mary's example. She was so used to talking with you that obedience came quickly to her and naturally to her. Thank you that she was able to submit her life at such an early age. Help us, us adults, to do that better. Your cross, Lord, is where we find our healing and our freedom. Thank you that you came and showed us the way. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.